0: And at verse 1 to verse 44, I do believe this might be the last time that I'll be in John's Gospel here at, at Union Chapel because we're on Zoom um, over, over a period in July. Um, and yeah, so I don't know, I might be able to scr- scrounge another sermon off John before I go. But <laughs> but uh, John chapter 11, verse 1 uh, to verse 44 uh, for this evening. And. Um, just before we look at that, there's, there's things that we can believe without fully understanding them, okay? Some of us drove here this evening, and some of us fully believed that if we got into our car, turned the key, and uh, with a clutch down, and got into first gear, that it would get us here. And uh, some of us just believed that, and we didn't understand at all how the whole thing works, okay? Dave knows, Alex knows, a few other people know, uh, but some of us, we don't have any idea how this thing works, we just do know, though, we believe that if you stick it in there, turn it around, you're going to get here somehow uh, through, the, through the whole thing working. You believe it, you have a basic understanding of it, just not a full uh, comprehension of it. Uh, I don't know how this thing works, right? We have a vinyl at home, we have a bunch of vinyls, and uh, I don't understand how lines and a bit of plastic makes music I can understand, I feel like I can understand better Spotify on my phone than I can understand how a piece of plastic can play music with a needle playing it. I don't understand it, but I do believe that if I turn it on and put one of my my little vinyls on there, it'll, it'll play music. I don't fully understand. I understand enough to be able to play it, but not to fully comprehend and Wi-Fi, how, are, like, how does this thing happen, right? How can I FaceTime somebody? How can these people be on Zoom this evening? And at different part? sometimes different parts of the world, people were coming on Zoom during lockdown and just being here. I remember once I was away up in, in, in Sunderland um, and, and I was preaching and you were all down here in Bath and you were, uh, how does this work? Like I get kind of how it works. I know how to log in and how to do all that part of it but I don't get the whole thing. And, and one of the big points of John chapter 11 is that we don't, all, we don't understand everything God's up to, but we can believe who he is. And that's a really big part of John's gospel chapter 11, that, that his followers, the only difference between his followers and those who hate him in John's gospel is that they believe him. It's not that they fully understand him. Because even as we get into the private conversations that Jesus has with his disciples, he keeps saying things like, do you not know this already? Like, you don't know this. And they're his followers. Like, some of them are his disciples. And, and, and later on, some of them is going to come to them and say, uh, God, Jesus, show us the Father. And he's like, do you not realize? If you've seen me, you've seen him. Like, I'm God. And uh, so, so again, what we're seeing here is we don't need to fully understand everything, but we do have to believe certain things. And uh, that's one of the great themes of John's gospel is this idea of uh, a genuine faith Versus having to know everything. There's some people in this world who feel like once I know all the answers to all the questions, then I can believe. And you're wrong. You'll never believe because there's never an end to the questions. And uh, the, the, Solomon says there's a, there's a foolishness in that, in gathering knowledge, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth, as Jesus says. So... Jesus, as we see here in John eleven, know that he's the Messiah, know that he's the Son of God, but you don't necessarily have to know every single one of his purposes and plans, and that's really good to know. So let's uh, let's get into uh, John chapter eleven here, and what we're going to look at tonight in chapter eleven is the ultimate proof, the ultimate proof that Jesus is who he says he is. He has power over uh, over death, and. Um, so we've had six miracles so far. This is going to be the seventh one. And uh, we have two Bethanies, okay? We have Bethany, which is Jesus is going to get to you a little bit later on. And then we have Bethany beyond Jordan. It's a lot like we have Newcastle upon Tyne. And we have Newcastle under Lyme. We have Midsummer Norton and Norton St. Philip. Limply Stoke, South Stoke, North Stoke. We have Moncton Coombe and we've got Moncton Farley. We have Coombe down, Odd down and Pease down. We have English cum and Chalkum. Do you get, you get the memo? I'm going to go through some more. Uh, so the idea is like, you know, there's these little places. They have similar names, but it's not the same place. So we got Bethany beyond Jordan, and then you have Bethany by uh, Jerusalem. So that's, this is what we're going to be looking at then uh, this evening. And the first thing we're going to look at is Bethany on the east. Bethany beyond Jordan in verse 1 to verse 16. This is where Jesus left to in John chapter 10 at the end. It says he left and he went over across the Jordan, back to where he was baptized by John. And he's there and people are coming to him and believing in him. And uh, Lazarus over in the other Bethany is sick. So Lazarus is sick and they, and people have, they've been sent. Someone has sent to Jesus. The sisters have sent to him and says, Lord, the one that you love is sick. So this is Lazarus, he's sick, sick unto death, and there's a messenger sent to say, please come, Uh, Lazarus is sick. And it says in verse 3, the one that you love is sick. The one that you love is sick, okay? So, verse 3 to verse 6, we have Jesus refusing to go. So, what happens when you find out someone's sick? When one of your loved ones is sick and you're able to do something, one of the, what you want to do is you want to drop everything and you want to go. And if you, if you can go, you want to be able to, to get there. And Jesus had every opportunity uh, to go, to go right across and to heal uh, Lazarus. In fact, as we know from John chapter four, he doesn't even have to go anywhere. In John chapter four, he heals the man in Cana when, when the nobleman's son, who was sick. And Jesus just heals him from 20 miles away. So Jesus doesn't even have to go to heal people. Just so bear in that mind as we, as we continue on there. So verse 4, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, Jesus says, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. It's a little bit what he said about the blind man. The blind man wasn't blind because of a specific sin, but for God's glory. And Lazarus is sick here for God's glory. And this is really interesting. Verse 5 to verse 6. Jesus loved Martha and he loved her sister Mary and he loved Lazarus so right verse 6 right so verse 5 he loves Martha he loves Mary he loves Lazarus Lazarus so he went and he went right so it says in verse 6 when he heard that he was sick he stayed two more days in the place where he was so again he could have healed from a distance he could have gone straight away But it's somehow what John the author is saying here is because he loved them, he delayed. Because he loved them, he delayed. You see, what's that all about? Jesus loves them and that he doesn't come. He loves them and that he doesn't come. Whatever is happening here with Lazarus being sick and Jesus delaying coming is because of God's glory and God's love. Somehow that's what's happening here. And here's what I'm trying to get, and we're going to see this quite a bit in John 11. Sometimes what God is doing seems, from our perspective, perplexing and irrational. Why would you do that? Why would you do this to me? Why would you do this to us? Why would you do this to our family or our country or our church? Why would, why would this happen? And, and from our perspective, it's perplexing and it's irrational. But we have to remember... God is working according to his plan, his timing, and his purposes. God does love us, but that doesn't mean he does what we understand all the time. It doesn't mean he goes with our understanding, right? I love you doesn't mean I'll do whatever you want me to do in your timing, and your will. So God loves us doesn't mean he does what we understand. God loves us doesn't mean he does everything when we want it and how we want it. He loved them so much he waited two more days until Lazarus was dead before he left. What kind of love is that? Well, we see as we continue on. So verse 7, verse 16, is Jesus now going. He goes across over to Bethany. He says in verse 7, let us go then to Judea. And they're, they're worried. They've literally just tried to stone Jesus to death. And so they say, but you'll get stoned if you go across to Judea once again. And Jesus says that there's twelve hours in the day, that He's the one who walks in the light. Because he sees the light of the world. Jesus is basically saying, I'm safe in the Father's timing. They can't touch me until the cross. I can't be stoned to death. I won't be arrested. I won't be seized or harmed until the Father's timing. I walk in the day doing my Father's will. And he says there's going to be another person who's going to walk in the night. Because the light is not in him. And many believe, speaking about Judas, who's going to walk in the night just a few days from now and betray him. Jesus tells them in verse 11 that Lazarus is sleeping and he's going to wake him up. And the disciples say, why would you go wake him up? If he's sleeping, that's a good thing. It means he's, he's resting, he's healing, he's, he's being charged. This is good for him to continue to rest. And Jesus says, no, I mean that Lazarus is dead, but I'm going to go wake him up. I'm going to go and, and do something. It says in verse 15, I am glad that I wasn't there. Lazarus has been dying. Like how, how painful is it? What was he dying off? He was sick to death. He was sick on the death. So there's a man here dying and Jesus doesn't go. And then when he dies, Jesus says, I'm glad that I wasn't there to allow him to continue to go through that death process so that you will believe. So let's go. And Thomas, not having the clue what's going to happen, well, let's go die then. Let's go be stoned to death with Jesus. So, once again, notice this the disciples don't understand Jesus, they don't fully comprehend him, just like the religious leaders don't fully comprehend him, but they believe him. And that's the difference. They don't understand Jesus' words, they don't understand his timing, they don't understand his deeds, but they do believe and they do follow him. And that's the difference. There's going to be times that we don't understand what God is doing. There's going to be times like that. If you're not going through a time right now where you don't understand what God is doing, there's going to be another time in your life where you're going to go through something and you do not understand what God is doing and you have two choices in that moment. Because of these circumstances, God is dot, dot, dot. Or because God is dot, 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 then these circumstances. you got two choices in that moment. And there's going to be times in your life where you don't understand what God is doing and you don't understand his timing and everything. But here's the truth we can know him. And we can know and we can trust him without understanding everything. Trust in God doesn't come through having all your questions answered. Trust in him is I know you even though I don't know what you're doing. And I know you're good. I know you have good plans and I know you have good purposes and I know you're just and I know you don't tempt me into sin and I know you you don't want to destroy me. I know you're good so I'll trust you even though I don't understand. I've been trying to say this uh, throughout John's gospel we don't have to have all the answers to have peace. We don't need to know all the timings and all the reasons to have rest. Your flesh tells you differently. I guarantee you your flesh tells you differently. I guarantee you there's been times in your life where you've asked this question, why God? Right? Why? And here's the, here's the problem. You might never get an answer to that question. You might never get one this side of eternity. So the question you need to be asking is, who are you, God? Who are you? We just need to know his character, rest in his character, regardless of what else we don't understand. Jesus loved them, so he didn't come. His friend who he loves dies. And Jesus says, I'm glad he's dead. What in the the world? He's working in a different way from us. So we move then across over to uh, the west, Bethany over into the west, in verse 17 to verse 44. And again, it's, it's this little one here. It's about... Two miles from Jerusalem. It's about the distance between where we are right now to the Roman baths. That's about the distance uh, between uh, Bethany and Jerusalem. uh, Lazarus has now been dead for about four days uh, when Jesus comes on the scene. And there are many people who have gathered around to comfort Martha and Mary because of the loss uh, of their brother. So that's setting the scene a little bit. And uh, the first person we come to then is Martha in verse 20 to verse 27. And this is, this is just heartbreaking. And uh, these are the questions we begin to ask Jesus sometimes. But I want you to see his heart. I want you to see his patience and his kindness. And I want to show you him revealing truth uh, to this woman who is brokenhearted. She asks him in verse 21, or she says to him, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. If you'd only come when we sent for you. We sent for you days before he died, and you didn't come, and now he's dead, and you could have done something about it, Jesus. But look what he sa- she says in verse 22. But even now I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. Do you know what she's saying there? She's not saying, but I know that Lazarus will rise from the dead right now if you tell. If you, I, she's not saying that. Okay, because just a little bit later, twice in this passage, in verse 24, if you look down there, uh, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection in the last day. Okay, and then down to verse 39, when Jesus says, roll away the stone, it's Martha that says, what? He's going to be stinking. It's been four days. So she's not saying this. She's not saying, but I know that if you ask God, he'll raise Lazarus from the dead again. What she's saying is this. I don't understand why you didn't come. But I do know who you are. That's what she's saying. I don't, I don't get why. We sent for you and you didn't come, and I don't get it. But I do know you're the Messiah. I do know who you are. That's what she's saying in verse uh, 22. Whatever you ask of God, God's going to, you're still the sent one. I still believe you're the sent one. What a powerful thing. I mean, we go through things like this where, where we go through hardships and we go through suffering, and the response is, God, are you really there? do you really love me? Do you really care for me? And here's this woman whose brother's just died during Jesus's earthly ministry. And she says to him, if you had come when we sent for you, he wouldn't be dead right now. But I still know you're the one. What a a heart of faith she has. Jesus responds, your brother will rise again. Elijah is a picture of John the Baptist. Here's Jesus as Elisha. And uh, he's going to come and bring a, a resurrection moment. Your brother will rise again. And she responds, yeah, I know that. We believe in the resurrection. We believe in the end of all things, that, 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 that there's going to be a resurrection. The Jews have always believed that there's going to be a, a resurrection. Every single person It's not going to be that that this whole idea of you're going to be a little Casper the Friendly Ghost for all eternity. And you're going to be up in the clouds playing your little harp with Philadelphia cheese people. That's not what Jewish people have always believed. That's not what Christians are supposed to believe. There will be a literal, there will be resurrection. And she says, I know that Lazarus will rise again in the end. And Jesus responds to her in verse 25 to 26. No, 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 no. It's not about a time. It's about a person. It's not about the timing of the resurrection. It's about the person behind the resurrection. I am that person. I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes may die, but will live again. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die in eternal death. And she says, and then he asks her, Do you believe? And her, with her brother dead, Jesus could have come and healed him. And she responds in verse 27 I believe your Lord. You're curios. you're Caesar, you're you're the one, you're God, you're Messiah, Christ, the sent one, the promised one, and you're the son of God, the one who is going to take the throne of the world. What a confession. Through her heartbreak, through her pain, and through her lack of understanding, because she still doesn't believe Lazarus is going to come out. She does not believe it at this point, and she says, I believe you're the one, uh, who's coming for us. This is so beautiful. I don't know why you didn't come, but I still believe you're the Messiah. And this is what we can do as well as God's people. God, I don't know why you're allowing this thing to happen, but I do know you and I trust you, even though I don't understand. We move then to Mary in verse 28 to verse 33. Martha comes and says to Mary, the teacher's calling, come in and see him. And Mary goes out to him in a, a private place, And she says to him essentially the same thing as Martha. If you had come, you would be okay. In verse 32 Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You could have done it, you could have saved him, you could have healed my brother. Why didn't you come? And then we have the response of Jesus in verse thirty-three. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping and remembering Martha weeping, he groaned in the spirit and he was troubled. Now these words for groaning in the spirit and troubling suggests a few things for us. It suggests pain. Jesus feels pain in his stomach at what's going on around him at the grief and the death. And the despair, he's pained by what he sees and hears. He has deep sorrow in these moments. But also, these words suggest he's angry. Jesus is angry here. He's not angry at Mary. He's not angry at Martha. He's angry at death. He's angry at the devil who has the power over death. And Jesus is trying to keep his emotions, not trying to, he's God. He's keeping his emotions under control and a groan escapes his lips. And what we see here is this, he really cares. Jesus really cares. He's not, God isn't, God, this is Jesus who waited for his friend to die. But he isn't using humans as pawns to carry out, his will with cold calculations. That's not the God we worship. He's like, oh, if I do this, and if that person gets hurt, and I, then I'll bring about my will. He's not using humans as pawns to carry out his will with cold calculations. He really cares. He's groaning in pain and in anger. Even though he purposely waited for Lazarus to die, he's still troubled. He's still mourning the loss of his friend. He's still broken at the heartbreak of these sisters that he loves. And their quiet trust in him, even through their pain. He's angry and he's devastated at the effect of sin and death on his creation. And he has righteous indignation against Satan, who has the power of death. So even though he has a plan, and even though he's working through that plan, he still feels. He feels. So know this, and whatever you're going through at these moments, whatever you've been through, whatever you're going to go through, that we don't know what it is yet. God isn't watching from a cool distance. He isn't unfeeling and unmoved. Jesus feels his people's suffering with them. He's called a co-sufferer. He suffers with us. And he's not up there looking down at our pain thinking, yeah, but I'm going to work that out. He feels it. Even though he has a plan, even though he's bringing about good purposes, he feels it with you. He groans in your groaning and the spirit groans for you when you don't even have the words. So we get then to verse 34 to verse 37. And now the crowd comes and he says, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see what Jesus was saying in John chapter one, come and see. And in verse 35, Jesus wept. This word for weep is not the same word as what the sisters and the crowd have been doing. This is that what the sisters and the crowd are doing is, is that shrieking and, and the loud cries of, of tears. But what it does mean here when Jesus wept is that he was shedding tears at this moment. There were tears in his eyes as he looks uh, on this grave. Jesus is about to raise this man from the dead. He knows he's going to do this. And yet he's weeping, he feels, he, he's looking at death in the eye with a store of feeling, anger, and grief, and he weeps. Just in case you're foolish enough to think it isn't manly to weep, here's Jesus. Jesus is not soft. Jesus is not brushing his hair like sometimes we see in the pictures where he just has this luscious hair that he brushes every morning before he's, this three-hour morning routine. Jesus is the epitome of true masculinity. He's the perfect man in full manliness. And here he is feeling and weeping. A 30-year-old man, God in the flesh, feeling and weeping. as a perfect man. I know pastors who've told me to never cry in front of a congregation. Don't cry because you don't want to show your weaknesses. Man, is that what we're going to tell Jesus? Jesus, don't be crying in front of people. They'll see that you care. They'll see that you're weak. Here's Jesus, God in the flesh, weeping. Any person, any man in the Bible who has more than five verses about him is weeping at some point in his story. And here's Jesus, God in the flesh, weeping. They respond in verse 36, look how he loved him. But once again, they say, Why didn't he come? He could have done something. He opened the eyes of a blind man. Surely he could have come and healed Lazarus. Once again, they don't understand why Jesus did what he did, but they don't doubt that he cares. So once again, they know he cares. They just don't understand what he's up to. And that's, again, for us this evening, we don't always have to understand what he's doing, but we don't have to doubt that he cares, that he feels what we're going through. If you're a teenager going through loneliness or going through the struggles of figuring out who you are, he knows and he cares. If you're an adult suffering grief or sickness or financial troubles or whatever it is, he knows and he cares. Whatever despair you're in, he knows and he cares. In verse 38 to verse 44 then, we have the miracle. Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb He's still intensely moved. He still has anger at death. And this is a real face-off moment. This is Jesus, the resurrection and the life versus death. The greatest human enemy down through the ages, the destroyer of this good creation, death. And here's Jesus staring it in the face, angry at it. And he's going to kill it right here. Well, he's going to stab it and he's going to kill it at the resurrection. Verse 39, move the stone. And of course, Martha, who believes he's the resurrection and the life, believes he's the Messiah. She's like, but he'll stink. She doesn't fully understand. She doesn't expect what's going to happen next. In verse 40, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Watch this, believe Martha and see. And then he prays to the father in verse 41 to verse 42. I thank you that you've heard me I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I've spoken audibly to you that they may believe that it's you who have sent me. And he says to the dead man, verse 43, when he said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And what does a dead corpse do when God says live? It lives. And it came out, Lazarus came out, and Jesus said, loose him and let him go. There's a little application for evangelism in this. Verse 39, we take away the stone, right? We bring in the gospel. Jesus has the power to bring them to life again. And in verse 44, we're the ones responsible for Loosing them and letting them go. Discipleship and mentoring and teaching them the things of God and how to separate themselves from sin and the sinful world. That's not the point. The point is a man just came to life again because God told him to come to life again. And this is what's going to happen for us one day when Jesus says to your dead body, we sang it this morning about Jesus' little lamb, when this short life is ended, and then in his arms I'll be tended. But one day he'll say to our bodies that are in the dust and in the graves, Come forth, and we'll obey. The dead will obey, and our bodies will rise again uh, from the dead. Uh, A a glorified body uh, like unto Jesus. And uh, what a happy hope we have as Christians. What a a glorious truth this is, that we, because of Jesus, can face death in the eye. And if you even want to, you can spit in its eye if you want knowing that it's already been defeated, knowing that Jesus has won and Jesus is coming and his people will rise with him one day. But here we have it. This is why Jesus waited. This is why he allowed there to be time for Lazarus to go through the pain of death so that he would bring Lazarus up again from the dead and show ultimately this ultimate uh, evidence of who he was, God in the flesh, the sent one, the Messiah, the anointed uh, of the Lord. And so if you're not a Christian, once again, come and believe this. This is the most powerful message. You are going to die one day. You're going to face God one day. Everyone will, everyone will stand before him. They'll stand before God, and you'll give an account of your life if you're not his. If you're not his, every sin you've ever committed will be held up against you, and you'll have no answer. You'll have no response to this, and your body will be glorified. You'll be raised up again to be sent into eternal separation and hell from God. This is what the Bible teaches, but that's not what the glorified body is for. It's for experiencing the joys of heaven and the joys of a relationship with Jesus. And he wants to make you new. He wants to make you spiritually alive now so that you'll have eternal life from here on out into the eternal realms to come. And if you're his... I just want again to say this. You might not understand why right now. And when you go through the next thing, you might not understand why, but you don't have to. You can understand him. You can understand who he is. You can trust him and his compassion and his love. And we know that he has good purposes, even though we don't always understand them or see them for a long time to come. So trust him, believer. Trust that he loves you. Trust that he cares for you uh, with what you're going through in these moments. So that is the seventh miracle of Jesus. There are seven miracles during Jesus' ministry. He turns water into wine. He heals uh, the nobleman's son from a distance. He heals the lame man walking. He feeds the 5,000. He walks on the water. He makes a blind man see. And a dead man live again. The seven miracles of Jesus. But we also had one of the other seven I am's. There's seven I am's in John's gospel. He said that he's the bread He's the light, he's the door, he's the shepherd and he's told us here in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. There are two more, we're not going to get to them um, but you can, you can come and find out afterwards what they are or read John's gospel and you'll see uh, what the next two of them are uh, as well. Amen.